welcome to the Kintsugi Heroes podcast, where we share inspirational stories of everyday people going through different challenges and how they overcome them. Please be aware that the story you're about to hear may have moments of deeply felt emotions and personal experiences. If anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help keep you safe. If you love this conversation, please like and share it with your friends so we can continue to share more inspiration and hope to as many people as possible. Now, listen up for our next hero's story. And in this episode, I met with the lovely Remedy Armitage as she shared with me her story of giving birth to a stillborn baby. This is a tearjerker episode, full disclosure, yet it's one worth listening to because it goes into the depths of the journey of loss of a a parent, a new mum, and what really goes on and, and also how she navigated those days afterwards and how she navigated life and dealing with people, what worked and what didn't and how people's comments, unintentional, well-meaning comments made things a lot worse. She talked about her support networks, what got her through and also what people can do to make things easier for someone who is in her situation and I'm sure we've all heard of someone who has been through this situation and often we don't really know what to say or do when someone loses a child but she gives us all of that and she came away from it feeling much better for sharing her story in in such detail and I was very grateful that she was able to do so with such vulnerability and care and love. So here you have Remini Armitage. Here we are, it's another episode of Kintsugi Heroes and I'm here with Remini Armitage from the UK. Hello Remini, how are you? Yeah, hi thanks, I'm fine, how are you? Very, very well. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. I really am I'm grateful for you coming along and being open to sharing your story. Thanks. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Good. Um, well, this is where I get to hand the mic over, really, and I'd love you to take us back to the beginning. Uh, where does your story start? Well, I guess if I was to start it at the age of 36 uh, when I was um, single and, and looking, for, looking for the person I wanted to end up with, um, of course, you know, it had taken me a while um and i always knew i wanted to be married and have kids um and you know i I'd, I'd given up a career in acting and and i'd focused my life on work with the hope that i'd find the right person and um eventually i did amazingly online <laughs> i met my husband um and we clicked straight away and the by the second day we started talking about children and uh, coming up with ridiculous names for our future children slightly bonkers but you know it was obviously meant to be um and within three months we were uh we were saying we loved each other and within uh within six months we were engaged so it was a whirlwind romance and you know it was it was meant to be um during the time you know once we had decided we were made for each other um we and we knew we were getting married we with saying, well, you know, I'm not, I wasn't a spring chicken, so it was time to start thinking about children. 
because we both wanted them. So um, we started trying and everyone said we were mad. How could we possibly think about getting married and having a wedding with um, and potentially getting pregnant? But um, of course, uh, that worry wasn't uh, didn't happen. We didn't get pregnant and we still didn't get pregnant. And, and we were getting worried. So we got married and then uh, three years later, we were still trying. Um, and eventually we um, used our savings for IVF, went through that whole process. And um, it the first time we tried it, um, it, it we lost the, um, the fetus straight, you know, within sort of the first few weeks so that it kind of didn't work. We were told to wait for a whole um, in the next cycle um, after. Um, and uh, during that cycle, uh, miracle upon miracles, I got pregnant. So we were overjoyed. Um, I'm already getting emotional. Um, and so, yes, so I couldn't have been happier. Um, I, uh, that pregnancy, we went, got um, the check checked for um, all the, the illnesses, the downs and everything. And we were thrilled to hear that everything was going to be fine. And we had a healthy baby boy, got a little video and photos and, and everything was going fine. And I was always a little bit worried because I wanted to, obviously I wanted to share it with everyone, but I didn't. I shared it with my closest family and friends and, um, and I was getting bigger and bigger and obviously people knew, but, um, I didn't do the, the dreaded Facebook announcement till, um, sort of, I got past 25 weeks and I thought, right, okay, I've got to share this. I'm too excited. I'm going to do it, which I did, even though I felt nervous about it. Um, and um, then, you know, then one one evening we were watching TV and um, my baby was getting very active. Um, and and I thought, well, you know, look, he was bouncing around and um, very strong. And then I went to bed and um, in the night he went quiet. Um, I knew something was wrong. Um I um I had a bath to try and wake him up and I couldn't um um so uh yeah that was pretty bad um it was a bad night um in the morning I was in a panic so we did the dreaded drive to the hospital um and of course uh, we were told the worst news you know that he he'd gone and I didn't believe it My husband didn't believe it and um. It just seemed unreal. Um, our so wanted poor baby was gone. Um, so I was 26 weeks pregnant. Um, and um, and then I had to wait three or four days uh, uh, before we went back to the hospital. So I had to take a pill. And um, we named him James. Um, and... Then went back to the hospital and um, went through labour. Um, but there's a difference between going through labour and the labour pains when you know that you're giving birth to a baby who's not going to be alive. And it was, although he was small, of course, he wasn't helping to get out, you know. And um, I got very ill. I got a fever and um, they thought I might not make it myself. Um, uh, but um, I did, and I mean, I then um, gave birth and uh, was left for four hours um, uncleaned, um, and they 
took James away and and eventually the midwife came in and she'd obviously been upset, but she was said, you know, because I, I was in pain and I was still in the bed that I'd given birth. And he, she um, said, well, I'm dealing with your baby and, and was very uncompassionate. And it was a terrible, terrible time. Um, and then eventually he was brought to me and, um, you know, we spent time with him and it was hard. And we were allowed to stay with him for a couple of days. Um, we had a special room. So it was, you know, it was a good thing. We were told about um, grief midwives and we were encouraged to reach out to a particular grief midwife, and which we did later on. Um, and um, we went home and that journey home was just beyond anything because, you know, we had the car seat and everything. Um, but obviously not with our baby. Um, and then the next... Um, we, I was on maternity leave. I was allowed to be on maternity leave. Um, and so I took three months off. But, you know, for the first little bit, I felt so lost and so afraid to go out because, of course, everyone knew me as pregnant. And um, suddenly, you know, I couldn't face the questions and I couldn't. I felt like I was going mad. I couldn't function. I couldn't get out. I couldn't. It was November, so I was getting close to Christmas. And um, one of the things that I, um, you know, saw was in, when we got back, kind of stars in the sky. There was one star in the sky, and I felt that that was a sign that it was James and he was okay. And and so from then on, stars were part of um, my life. And he, I see him as a star in the sky, and you know, so I started collecting stars. So that Christmas, the house was just filled with stars. Um, and my friend bought a star and na named him. Named it after him. Sorry. Um, but anyway, um, so those few months were awful, um, terrifying. But I, I met a group of women who were um, going through the same thing as me. It was an online community of lost mums. And we all thought we were going mad in some form because we couldn't get out of the house and we couldn't see people, we couldn't do things. And, but we had each other and um, I think they... Without them, I don't know if I would have survived because one of the problems was, you know, people would say, oh, you'll get over it. You know, it was meant to be. He's in God's arms. I wanted to smack them. <laughs> um, it was such a, it was just, you know, you can have another one. And, you know, but it's not James. Um, so, yeah, that didn't help. So the only people that really, um, you know, that understood were people who'd gone through it. And there were lots of you know, my parents were amazing and my closest friends were amazing and I knew that I could call them at any time and they were there for me. And so I was so grateful for that. But yes, it was the community of, of loss, loss women that um, I'm still friends with today. Um, 11 years later, um, they are, uh, we, we, we refer to each other as fimps, friends in my pocket. And um, we've, I've met a couple of them, but we're still a community of, you know, lost mums, you know, but it's amazing. We had each other, so that helped. Um, but that that um, time um, was obviously incredibly dark. Um, and you know, I had one moment when I didn't know if I was going to get through it. And, um, it seemed easier just to leave the world um, and not continue because I wasn't afraid of death anymore because I knew that James was going to be at the other side. But um, I couldn't do it. I didn't do it. But, you know, 
um, one of the things that um, we did was um, we played the song we had for our wedding, which was Lord of All Hopefulness at our wedding. We played that at his funeral. And I think hope is one word that I will always associate with James because he gave me hope because after he died, there were so many signs that I had to hope I'd have another baby and I had to believe. And he, there were, every time I felt particularly bad or every time I felt like I couldn't go on, something would stop me and I would see something like a star or a white feather or something. And it was as if he was saying, stop. You know, I'm okay and you're going to be okay. Um, and I, um, so I sort of started getting hope that I was going to be okay. And and then I had a dream sort of 11 weeks later. I was writing a diary at the time, which helped, um, that I was holding a nine-month-old baby. Um, and I heard a voice saying, you have to get better. You have to be okay for your future children. And I took that to be James. Um, and because I was writing a diary, I, I wrote that in my diary. And um, I got pregnant that week. <laughs> um, it was 11 weeks later. So I uh, um, I got my hope. Obviously, that pregnancy was terrifying every minute. I, I you know, my, my, my son was eventually born um, and I was... Um, but throughout the pregnancy, almost every day, I thought he'd die. Um, and he was really quiet, sleepy baby in my when I was pregnant. So I used to have to try and wake him up. The doctor said, get some chocolates and you can have the chocolates at night. Wake him up. <laughs> so I did. Poor boy. Um, and so I um, went on and we had um, our healthy boy. Um, and we... We're obviously thrilled. By this time, we'd also found out what had happened to James. Um, he was Down syndrome and had leukemia, which apparently is a side effect of, can be a side effect of Down's. And um, he, the doctors had said if he'd survived, uh, he wouldn't have lived beyond two. So um, I sort of think, well, without um, James, I wouldn't have had Luke. Um, and because I couldn't, you know, I would have been in hospital. I would have been living in hospital with my son. And so the fact that um, Luke was born um, a month before the year's anniversary of losing James. So Luke was born in October and James was November. Um, Luke means light, which is, um, uh, of course, I don't know if you know the term rainbow baby. The rainbow baby is the baby born after the storm of loss. Light and colour born after the storm of loss. And so it felt right to call Luke, Luke. There's lots of Luke rainbow babies. And also Iris is also a common girl's name because, of course, it's the goddess of rainbows. And so my community of mums, um, all of us who I men mentioned before, all of us have gone on to have one, mostly two children, which I also have. I then went on at Alex, but... Um, uh, 17 months later. So I had, I was pregnant almost solidly for three years with my three boys. And, um, I think, uh, that, that time obviously was a, was a really, was really hard, but I, you know, James is always part of my life. He's part of my, who I am and 
has made me who I am and gave me hope and and has enabled me to live the life I lead now. And I'm very lucky to have two healthy boys who are now um, eight and ten. And so I'm very hugely grateful to to James. And I love Christmas now. Um, my car, my tree always is covered with stars. And um, so yes, I'm. Um, it's a, it was a it was a tough time, but I think you know those those um, people going through it. Are, you know, it's 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 not one of the things. One of the people said to me, well, the other mums, was it's not that you get over your son. You're not. You don't get over losing your child. You just get stronger. And I think that goes with all grief is you grow stronger daily so you can carry the weight of the grief. Um, and it doesn't go away. And it sometimes hits you at strange times. And obviously it lessens. But it, um, you know, James is always part of me. And I can talk about James without crying, mostly. But occasionally it hits, especially like now telling the, the real story. Um, but you know, it's not something that goes away and it shouldn't because it's my son. So I think, um, I think if I was talking to someone else, any other mother going through something like this, I would say, you know, just remember that rainbows do appear and remember to try and find a community of other people going through the same thing and you're not going mad. <laughs> You're just taking things a day at a time. Don't rush your grief. Let it let it flow. Find a good grief counsellor. Find someone you can talk to who understands you and also the, the fathers, because I think the fathers often get forgotten in this situation. And in our lost mums group, quite a lot of the dads six months later or so, they were the ones who suddenly hit rock bottom. And a number of the marriages ended because of the kind of held grief that um, happened. So I think that it's really important to uh, get help because it's, you know, it's hard to cope with on your own. It's impossible. Um, and so um, I think that's a, a, a key thing. Well, um, it's so much there, Ren. And you got me very emotional too. Um, I was going to ask about Des. How did he cope? With the news when you first, you know, first found out that James had passed inside the womb, and then, you know, three months later, you know, when you were home from work and, and dealing with your grief, what? How was the journey for him? It's hard. He was, you know, went kind of. He was obviously he was incredible when I was going through, you know, the pregnant the, the uh, birth and things, and he didn't leave my side. Um, and throughout the time, you know, straight after and, and on, he was, um, you know, very supportive, but, you know, he had to deal with it himself as well. And, you know, I think with, with hardcore grief, kind of as much as you might have each other, you're also on your own. And, um, I think we, we grieve differently. Um, and I think that's something that the grief counselor talked to us about was the fact that men and women do grieve differently and as a woman um it's not unusual to continue to talk about your child forever and to want to share the story um but for a man or for des 
it's harder. And I don't think that, you know, he doesn't like talking about it. He, he sort of, he's like, I moved into the future now. I don't need to think about that part of my life because it's sad. And my parents are the same. They don't want to talk about it um, and talk about James. And I think people thought, especially that generation, I should be over it, you know, within a year or something, you know, fair enough the first year, but I shouldn't be talking about it. And, you know, I was o- over the top and, you know, I sh- it's, yeah, I should be over it. I don't, I, I, I don't think, like I said, you don't get over it, but I'm a lot stronger. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the time I had with him. James, and um, I'm grateful for what he's done for me. Um, so I'm never, he's always my son. He's always with me. I think that, I mean, that was another p- point. It reminds me that um, I remember one of the things that I was um, afraid of was moving forward um, and, and living without him. Um, uh, and I think there was a point, and I don't, I don't know when, it, obviously it was early on, but um, you know, tried to, you know, laughing again and living again it just didn't seem real. It didn't seem possible. And then I can't remember what it was that kind of triggered it, but I suddenly realized that James was with me always. He was always going to be part of me. And so I could move forward because he was going to be with me. He wasn't going anywhere. But at first bit was really hard because I felt that I couldn't move forward because it meant that I was going to forget him. But of course, that was ridiculous because I was never going to forget him. Because he's always going to be part of me. And he is, you know, so thank God I managed to find that. And he was always part of me. And he is. So, yes, that's, I mean, again, I think, again, speaking to, and I've tried to support my other lost mum since, but um, that is something I've tried to tell others is that your son will be with, you know, your child will always be with you. You don't have to feel like you're leaving your child because you're not sorry Um, yeah (laughs) don't apologize for the tears Ram. I think that um, me and everyone else listening is probably reaching for a tissue right now (laughs) if they haven't already Um, how, how did you go getting back into the world again you know you took the three months off work how hard was it for you to reintegrate into your life again it was really hard <laughs> so I went back to work in um so I, I lost him in November and then I slowly started going back to work I think towards the end of January I could have taken the whole year out if I wanted to because by law I was past 24 weeks can take a whole year so it's kind of strange though being on maternity leave without a baby um but my work were very good and they had um they let me um come back um slowly over a few days a week and i had you know friends um supporting me i remember my friend lara being there and walking me back into the office and of course you know people were you know the last time they saw me i was heavily pregnant and so it was hard for them I know that it had had a big impact on other people uh, when they heard what had happened. Um, but by the time I 
got back, I was pregnant again. And so it wasn't, um, it, it, obviously that was easier. But the one thing that I remember was, um, everyone in the office was, you know, we, I worked as an agency and, um, obviously not on my first day, but that first few weeks and, um, everyone was running around like headless chickens because they're trying to get proposal out and it was all big deal and everyone's a stress, stress, stress. And, and I was thinking, seriously, really? Are you really stressed about something as sort of stupid as this? And then, and then there was one point when my manager was uh, kind of saying, "Well, you know, you haven't you haven't done this or you haven't done that or whatever." And my and my friend Lara was just beside herself with fury on my behalf. We went into a meeting room, and she she basically told the manager off. I was not caring a bit because I was like, "Well." So what? You know, I, you know, I've dealt with bigger things than this. It didn't bother me, but she got, she was furious. I think she ended up crying. She was so angry on my behalf. Um, we're still friends, and and funny enough, we're still friends with the manager as well. But um, I was, it was funny because everyone was so kind of um, obviously important. You know, work was important at that time. But I went through. I mean, it was a long time. I lost my emotion, and like other than dealing with the, what I was going through, just the small things in life and or the things that other people were going through. I lost a lot of empathy and I became very hard and I, you know, it was the way I survived and people complain about I don't know, just li- things that seemed so irrelevant and I was probably not very pleasant. And I know my best friend, Kate, um, was pretty shocked. A few people were pretty shocked at how hard I'd become because I was just, I didn't care, you know, I just lost it. You know, I was just, I lost who I was. And I think it took a good year or so to get my emotions back properly and probably more than that. Um, and I was, yeah, I was very, um, I was pretty hard for quite a long time, but the walls had come down and, you know, I had to focus on, you know, having another baby and that was my priority and everything else was didn't really affect me like it would have done. I am naturally quite an emotional person. So once the emotions started coming back, I was like, oh, damn, it's quite good not having all those really deep emotions. Oh, but yes, they didn't stay away for too long. Um, but I mean, it taught me lots about empathy and kind of being able to be oneself and things. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, getting back into the normal world was really tough. But it, I think, again, they talk about a new normal. And that's one of the things that, you know, you have to find that. You have to find your new self because you're never going to be the same person you were before that event or whatever big event. And I think, again, one of the things it's taught me is that when you go through something massive like that, you do change. And you need people who have gone through similar to be able to understand where you're coming from. Um, but, you know, and then looking at other people who've got going through or gone through big things, although I haven't gone through those things, I can recognize some of the feelings and the grief, the emotional side, and and then just give people space to go, okay, well, no, I haven't gone through that, but I'm here to listen, talk, let, you know, you can talk to me. I'm not going to tell you it's going to get better. I'm not going to say you're going to be fine because you may not be, you know, can't, I think people trying to paper over, horrible things 
it's just disrespectful. You know, it's hard to hear, yeah, your baby might die, but they might, you know. Life can be tough. There's no guarantees things are going to be fine. But um, you try and keep hope, I think, is an important thing. I really like that. And you're right, you know, but I think people trying to sugarcoat things and um, justify things, and but it doesn't actually help anyone. It doesn't, doesn't help healing. And it doesn't allow someone to actually be in their in their pain, in their grief. Mm. Um, you know, trying to deny the grief doesn't actually help anybody. No, you've got to be able to talk about it. Mm. Um, and I think that that, again, I think, you know, if I was saying to anyone who was with people who had, you know, if you were trying to support people who are going through something like that or something big, is it's just just let people know that you're there, willing to listen. Um, don't try and say everything's going to be fine. You'll get over it because you know. Or, or God, time heals all wounds. It doesn't. You know, you can get stronger from it, but don't say it's all going to get healed and you're going to be fine. It's just rubbish. And you know, yeah, equally, I think you know, I, I'm, I think I'm quite a positive person now uh you know and i i try to look at the bright thing bright side of life and try to have hope and and belief that things are going to be okay you can't live in the thought that everything's going to be awful um but i think it's important to have hope but also you've got to be realistic about things um and so yeah i think the key thing is don't don't try and make things better. Just do what you can to support the person. And again, during that time of loss, there were two people who sent food to our house because I couldn't eat, I couldn't cook, I couldn't do anything. My parents came with food. And then I would, we had uh, a friend who I'd met on the tube who came. Um, I didn't know her that well, but she, for the first couple of weeks, just kept coming with food, home-cooked food, and leaving it at our door. And... Um, and then another friend sent us a big basket of cookies and muffins, and which was amazing because it just meant that we could eat. We wouldn't couldn't do it otherwise. And um, so again, I think trying to be practical and don't wait for someone. You know, if someone says, "Oh well, can I?" You know, let me know if I can do anything. No, if they're going through something like that, they're never going to tell you that, what they need because they don't know. You need to just be there, listen, and give them food. Um, so. and cookies yes <laughs> um, I could imagine that when you got pregnant again was it would have been a surprise is it well it was it was the first time we tried <laughs> so um, and it was yeah I mean amazing and it was you know it was as I say it was a terrifying pregnancy um, because, but I luckily had the community of um, uh, of the other lost mums, and a couple of them have gone through that pregnancies since. And you know, we were all, most of so the big group of lost mums had still going. Cause of course, everyone we've got lost people all the time. But then there were a small group of us who went onto a, um, another group of people mums trying, and then there was a break off of people who were trying who were pregnant. I got on the um, trying group. I was on it for a week. 
then I got pregnant. So I moved into the the pregnant group. And then, of course, that group broke off again when we had our babies. Um, we're still friends. So there's 12 of us and we're still connected. And um, so that um, really, you know, I think that really helped mm. kind of keep keep sane. Um, but, yeah, that first pregnancy. So the 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 whenever we had the fear that the other pregnancy, the, the other mums had gone through it, um, we were um, we would refer to normals, so normal mums who were slightly oblivious, and then we were the wackadoodles <laughs> because we were constantly terrified and constantly just a little, well, completely paranoid, and you know every tiny thing we would freak out about. But then saying that again, if anyone's listening who is pregnant, and I'm not saying this to frighten people. But if it saves a baby, I think it's important to say there's two things to look out for. And this could have saved a couple of the babies of the lost community I'm in. One of them is if you get any major movement or lack of movement from your baby, get checked. Um, and so James, that night, that last night, he did some huge bouncing movements. I would never have thought to get that checked, to be fair. And he couldn't have been saved because he had leukemia, you know. So, but other babies could have been saved. So the, the high movement, um, like out of nor out of the norm, or low movement or lack of movement, get checked. Um, if you get checked, don't take no for an answer. Get checked. Get pushed back. One of my friends went back to the hospital three times after being pushed back, saying, "No, no, there's nothing wrong." She lost her full term baby. Um, and the other one is is leaking waters is um, if you think, yes, of course, it's all really disgusting, all the kind of bits and pieces that come with pregnancy they don't tell you about. But if you suspect you're leaking your waters, get checked. Don't wait. Don't think it's something else. It could be serious. And um, again, another lost mum. I think there were a couple of them lost their babies because of leaking waters. They lost their babies at full term. So um, if you're listening and you're having a baby just be careful and don't don't assume everything's going to be fine just because you've hit the 20 week mark um you know i lost james at 26 weeks but more of my friends lost them full time um so and healthy babies so get checked but that's my i i don't like saying that too much but it is a lesson that people need to be aware of uh, thank you for that like you said, it's not about, you know, being pessimistic, but being realistic. These things happen and we have to be conscious and vigilant. And, mm. and I love the advice that you've just given about, you know, to the pregnant mums about, you know, those two signs um, and to get checked. Really important. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like it, it is, it's not going to happen. But again, the mm. statistics are shocking. It's something, I mean, when it happened to, to us, I think it was, um, Something like, it's a shocking statistic. It's something like one in seven babies. Um, I mean, it's, it's, and I, I can't remember what the actual statistic is, but it's, it's much, much higher than people realize. Um, and so, you know, it's not something, it does happen, you know. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, in the UK, it's the worst um, of the developed world. It's the worst country in the world for um, stillbirths. Um, 
I think that statistic is probably too high, but it is it is still mm. whatever it is, it's mm. much higher than you'd expect. Yeah, right. Um when you had your next baby, did people around you just assume that you were over the death of James? Did they think, okay, that conversation's gonna end, we're not gonna hear about it? Was there yeah. a view that, oh no, she's moved on now. She's got yeah. her baby. Yes, yeah. Um not not I mean my closest friends know because I, I still talked about James and obviously I had Luke within that first year. So I'm still grieving um, during that first year and, and beyond. And so, yeah, I think people thought, you know, once I had Luke and then Alex, you know, surely she can't still talk about it, but I do. I mean, you know, on Facebook, every, his birthday, I still, I don't say I celebrate it, but I mark it. And, um, you know, and at Christmas I mark it. You know, I mark. You know, I go and I visit. And I, you know, that first, you know, that first year I visited every day. You know, and then, um, and then it lessened and it lessened. And now it's, I don't. I mean, it's probably I go every few months now, but it's not. You know, it, it's not as needed because he's with me. So I don't. You know, I don't need to, to go. But yeah, people did assume that. Why am I still talking about it? Because he's my son, you know, and uh, that's just the way it is. Um, but yeah, so I think people, some people found it quite hard. Um, but I mean, as I said, I don't talk about him every day, but you know, it's just part of my story. But I mean, I was very lucky because I then went on and had Alex, um, 17 months after Luke, so you know, I had two toddlers <laughs> the same or two babies at the same time so it was pretty full-on um so yeah i was very lucky so do you think they helped you help fill your heart and your you know your days of course with the, the we all know the energy required to look after a baby <laughs> and a toddler um but did they fill a, a space or did they just kind of create their, their own space um alex filled that space in a way, I felt I felt incomplete until I had Alex, and then I I kind of I don't know why. I mean, both Des and I are only children, so you know, it would have been fine if we'd only had one, you know, one uh, child at home. Um, but we said, you know, we wanted to try for another, and we gave ourselves a window of okay, because I'm as old. I'm an older mum, and I was 40 when I had Luke. And then um, I we said, okay, well, we need to try and get pregnant by the time I'm 41. And, uh, but then if we don't, by my birthday, then we'll stop. I got pregnant the week of my birthday. <laughs> so um, Alex came and he did, you know, it, it, it completed our, he completed our family. Um, I think I would have felt empty without him. Um, so... Yeah, I think that was a a good. I mean, obviously, it was wonderful. I had the the two boys, but one of the things that again is a difficult question. I still struggle with a bit now, but not so much. But when people said, or say, you know, so how many children do you have? And you know, obviously, you know, the normal answer is two. But at the beginning, I was I would say I've got one or I mean, one or two, depending on when it was when Alex was here, um, and I'd feel guilty every time. I didn't include James. And so I would say I've got two at home. That's how I dealt with it. 
Um, and then sometimes I would talk about James, but obviously I don't now. I just say two, but you know, in my head, I've, I, it's a difficult question. So now I find it very difficult. I don't like asking people how many children they've got. Don't like because I think it can be intrusive, or you know, when people have children with big gaps, don't ask the question. Oh, wow, that's a big gap because um, they might have lost a child. You know, I don't don't assume that they've made that choice. Or I've got friends who, you know, had multiple miscarriages but didn't manage to have children. And, um, you know, oh, why didn't you choose to have children? Well, how do you know that they didn't try for years? Um, so, yeah, it's a, I think it's a sensitive topic. It's something people should be conscious of. Absolutely. And I, I love the way that you've described the journey and, and also the, the relational aspects of the healing journey and you know, giving us some insight into what's not that appropriate to say. And, and it makes perfect sense. You know, we do need to be more human and humane and compassionate, I think. Mm. And, and it's, we, people can be very judgmental, but also make assumptions. Yes. And when they do make assumptions, then that's where things can go haywire. Yes. It becomes quite uh, difficult. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, I know that I'm guilty of being acting probably like a normal more times than I, I should now because it has been so many years that I do probably do the put my foot in it sometimes and say the wrong things and you know and and you know but it's I am probably I'm, I'm probably a bit more conscious because obviously of what I've been through but I'm um and I do probably say the annoying oh everything will be fine stop worrying. Not not to pregnant people, I don't. <laughs> but, um, and yeah, because I think it's just normal. It's and it's, I don't think when people say say the wrong things or said the wrong things, you know, it always comes from a good place. Generally, um, I think it's just people don't think and they don't want to think that there's anything going to be bad coming, so they just say what they think is comforting. It's, they don't realise that actually it's not necessarily helpful. And so um, I think you know, and people try to empathise. And, you know, that's natural, but it's also not necessarily helpful. Like, you know, when I, uh, a lot of people said to me, and oh, you know, well, I've had a miscarriage, so I know what you're going through. And it's like, I know that miscarriages are, you know, heavy duty. Absolutely. I'm not taking that away, um, but it's different. And, you know, it's not, it's not the same. Um, so it's uh, um, trying to get the balance of saying the right thing, but it's really hard if you haven't gone through it. Whatever they've gone through is it's very hard for people who haven't gone through it to really know how to handle that. You've obviously had, like you said, 11, it's been 11 years since you lost James and you've got this wisdom and you've developed a lot of strength, obviously, in that time. And just hearing you speak, you know, you can see how integrated you are and so accepting of him in your life. And as you say, you never get over it, nor do you want to. He's always with you. There's so much beauty in, in that and vulnerability and authenticity about our humanness. And I just want to acknowledge you for that. It's, it shows such a strength of character to be able to speak and share in the way that you have. Thank you. So thank you. I wanted to ask you now today, looking back, I mean, you have given us so much wisdom and perspective. Is if, What would be one of the biggest things that you've grown or, or done as a result of your journey since losing James? Um, 
I think during the time of losing James, the, probably the thing that saved me was the the kindness of other people, of my closest friends and my family and 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 counselors and also the community of lost people and the 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 allowance of listening and letting people well letting me talk and be being there so i've got a couple of i had three friends three four friends i would bounce off by taking turns and having a freak out you know when i was going through it they were there for me they knew that they would be there for me anytime um and and so i ended up so so and i think personally the ability to listen and the ability to maybe be more empathetic and and take time for people um, was something that I feel that I'm better at and I'm, I try to do more of. And so I ended up, I kind of have, my whole business is based around that now. And so my my business is all about listening. And so I listen to people for a living. I basically, I interview people's clients to find out what they think about the business that I'm working for. And I, I want to give people a voice and hear what they say and get the truth from people and then feed that back so that the business that I'm working for, my clients, can be more human with their people, with their clients and their teams. And, and I think it's really important to be more human and be more accepting and, and you know, and actually let people be themselves and, and, and be honest about themselves, you know, and it, and and I think as well, being good in business and in life, and you know, actually, don't hang your personality on the door when you go into different situations. Just be yourself. And if you're having a good day, great. If you're having a bad day, be honest about it. So if you're talking to a client and you've got a migraine and you're really struggling that day, tell them everyone has problems, and and they'll be more forgiving. Or if you're late for something, talk to them. And just say, I'm sorry, this is what's happening. Don't hide things. Communicate, build relationships, human relationships. And I think the thing that, you know, I learned from the time with James is that listening and being human and being authentic, I hate the word, but is so important. And actually, you know, nurture those relationships and and be around people you want to be around. Don't be around people who are fake and don't care and don't allow you to be yourself and don't want you to be yourself and aren't being human you know so for me it's all about being more human in life and in work what a beautiful gift uh, even though we don't necessarily always get gifts from our traumatic events it sounds like you have been given this gift of this, this perspective and way of um, operating way of being and I love it. I love what you said oh, about you. being more human and and being yourself and just being real. Yeah, because sometimes mm. you have crappy days. And obviously you can't have a crappy day every day and you do that in your work and your life. And you need to sometimes just put on a smile and get on with it. And actually, you know, whatever the saying is, you know, smile, it actually does help you that day, you know. But, you know, just mm. I think I think it's just having that honesty in life and and um and you know the whole everything we've gone through with covid i think that's a really um in a way it's been a gift and it's been hell as well but it's also been a gift of realizing that we're all people we're all humans and we've all you know we're all 
we've got different experiences and we should be listening to those. Yeah, absolutely. What a beautiful way to come to an end. Um, you did mention this earlier, but I just want to ask you the question again. So it's top of mind for our listeners, Remini. So if someone's listening to this who is potentially going through or, you know, this similar thing that you went through, what would you like to say to them? I think give yourself time. Um, know that you need to give yourself time to grieve. Um, believe that your baby will, you know, that spirit will always be with you. Um, don't expect, don't listen to people who say you'll get over it. It's not about getting over it. It's about getting stronger and finding people who are in the same kind of space that you can lean on that will hold you up when you feel like you're falling and that know that the that pain of grief is incredibly heavy and every day or every week or whatever it is you will get stronger bit by bit and then you'll be able to carry that grief and in time you will be able to laugh again and life will come back but don't think that that you're leaving your child behind because you're you know you're, you don't don't it's, it's not about getting over it it's basically it's about trying to learn to live a new normal and um and carrying the grief i think when your grief gets too much sometimes it's when people say oh you know you're you're You'll, you'll get over it. That to me is insulting. And time doesn't heal the wounds. You just get stronger and you will get stronger and you will get through it and try to have hope. Um, you know, so many people who have gone through what I've been through have gone on and had healthy babies. Um, I can only think one or two who haven't, but most have. And it can happen. And it's not about having another baby to replace, it's about just believing in a different future. Um, you can survive. That's really beautiful. Thank you, Remini. Just from the bottom of my heart and from hopefully all mums listening to this, uh, thank you for being so open and sharing that beautiful story with me and everyone today. Uh, well, I'm really grateful. Well, thank you. I'm going to add one final thing. Okay. Is give your kids and the people you love a big hug in the name of James. <laughs> Will do. Your shining star. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Kintsugi Heroes. Please like and share the show to your friends so we can get this out to even more people. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, please reach out using the contact details below. Join us next week for our next hero story. Until then, keep being you and remember that we are all heroes in our own unique way.